we'll be considering Jude's warning of those who go, who go on in the way of Cain. This expression, in the way of Cain. He says, he warns uh, believers not to go in the way of Cain. Or, or those who perhaps would be affected by professors by the many false professors, not to go in the way of Cain. What does he mean? What's he talking about when he says, when he says to not to go in this way of Cain? Well, we know Jude, whose name really means Judah, that he was one of the four brothers of Christ, one of Christ's four earthly brothers. We know that was only later on that he was actually converted after Christ's resurrection. So we know that he knew something of this in his, perhaps his own personal life. But also, Jude demonstrates through this letter, this letter that he is incredibly knowledgeable in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament Scriptures. He knows um, a huge amount of the Old Testament, and it was thought that his ministry was primarily to the Jews who were converted through to uh, Christ. But what does he mean? What does he mean when, when he, say, he says they have gone in the way of Cain? What is he talking about? How do I know if I'm going in the way of Cain? Or whether you're going in the way of Cain? How do we know? Is he referring to someone's name or someone's family, family tree and lineage, he's not referring to that at all. That's not what he's talking about here. Is he referring to the type of church that you belong to or the type of denomination you belong to? He's not referring to that either. The way of Cain here, which Jude is describing, is the way in which a person can live their life. He's describing a lifestyle. You see, that's what he's referring to. The life that God has given us, what does, how, how are we using that lifestyle? Are we going in the way of Cain, as it were? Jude says in verse 3 that true believers and followers of Christ should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. In other words, if we are truly in Christ and we have sought the Saviour with all of our hearts and we love the Lord Jesus with all of our hearts, and we're in Christ, we're living for Him, we should stand up for the Lord Jesus. We should stand up for, for Him by faith. Stand up for the faith that was once delivered to the saints, for the truth as it is in Christ. Not only by our faith, but what our faith produces. The good works, as it were, good gospel works. And so in Jude's very short, powerful letter, he describes why we should earnestly contend for the faith. And it is because of the many, many corrupt teachers that have come into the church of Jesus Christ over the years. There are many, many, many corrupt teachers that have infiltrated, as we see in the Jude's epistle, that have come into the church of Jesus Christ over the years, and they have corrupted it. And it's not necessarily... Their doctrine that has corrupted the church, although doctrine is important, but we can see from this epistle that it's more about their practice, that they are denying the faith. They're showing by their practice they are not living according 
to the gospel. All their theology, as it were, dear friends, was fairly sound. It was fairly sound. But their practice denied the faith. Their lifestyle, what is, what is, is in effect is what Judah is saying, their lifestyle brought the gospel, that which saves a man, into complete disrepute, as it were. The way they lived their life, it denied to many people that they were living for the Lord, that, the, that they had undergone this transforming effect, and they were truly converted. As Jude puts it in verse 4, such were turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God. Lasciviousness. So they turned the, the wonderful doctrines of grace that are, uh, uh, of someone when they truly trust in Christ and they love the Lord with all their heart and all their soul and they've sought the Saviour and they've, they've been completely transformed. Well, they were turning all the truths of the gospel into lasciviousness, into a loose indulgence, into a careless, worldly way of living. And that spoke volumes. And that was causing other people to follow likewise. It was corrupting the church of Jesus Christ. And friends, how relevant is Jude's warning to us in our day, in our, in our age? We have all the theology in the world, don't we? And I'm not speaking against theology. It's, it's good that we are sound in doctrine. But we have all the theology in the world, more than all that have gone before us, as it were. We have all this knowledge, all this theology. And yet, how little has it profited much, much in the West? We see in the West, dear friends, with all the theology, we see a wholesale abandonment of actually true belief and faith in Christ and a living out of the gospel. We see so much worldliness, so much unbelief amongst so many professors. Why is this? Why is this the case? Well, because Jude tells us in verse 4 that certain men have crept into the fellowships unawares. You see, these people, friends, they, these people have crept into the church uh, of Christ they have corrupted the church, not necessarily by their doctrine, although that matters, but it's more their practice, you see. Yes, they speak of the grace of God. Yes, they speak of the forgiveness of God through His Son. Yes, they speak of the Holy Spirit. They speak of all these wonderful truths, you see, these blessed truths. And they speak of Christian liberty. And, and we are all for those things. Yet, dear friends, their lifestyle speaks a lot louder than those things. Their lifestyle shows to many that despite all the intellectual knowledge of all these things, they're not living it. It has not had a transformative effect upon their life. Jude says in verse 16 that such are murmurers, complainers, and there we have it, walking after their own lusts. There's the practice, you see. And their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. You see, despite, despite what they say, despite all their learning, all their doctrine, their lifestyle shows that self 
And self-love still reigns more in their heart than Christ. And that, that is a very possible to have it. You can know so much theology, you can have this, this intellectual side of things, where you know, you know that Christ forgives, you know that Christ is by Christ's grace, you know all these blessed doctrines of grace, but in your heart, you still not have, have not closed with God. You have not come with all your heart to the Lord. And this is what Jude is warning against. Those who go the way of Cain. And it's no wonder why Jude addresses in his letter, in verse 1, he says, To them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. You see, Jude, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us something. He's saying, he's, he's saying that deliberately, that those who are truly saved will be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Those who God calls... It's a holy calling to leave this world and its broken systems and its empty systems, leave this world and follow me. And that is what true belief is. It's not a, a kind of hanging on to this world, a loving of this world. It's an abandonment of this world. And it's a true love and belief for Christ by faith. And so he's saying that those who have truly been called by Christ, they've truly heard the Good Shepherd. They are sanctified. There is growth in their life. They, they are, I'm not saying that as, as, as someone cannot be fall into worldliness or sin and those things. I'm not saying that. But there is a progression in holiness and usefulness. Those who God calls, he sanctifies. And those who are sanctified, God justifies. They are preserved. They cry to the Lord. They depend upon the Lord. You see, friends, true heartfelt salvation in Christ does not willingly use and abuse the grace of God in giving people a license to carry on in sin and in worldliness. Jude says they are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. They are using the wonderful truths of the gospel as an intellectual thing, but they're turning it into worldliness, into, into, into a, a wicked thing, a license for people to sin. And they're causing other people to do the same as well. In today's letter, Jude sets out many examples of such who abuse God's grace in this respect. They abuse God's truth of the gospel, God's grace, His patience, and His long-suffering. He sets Jude, and, and his extensive knowledge of the Old Testament, he sets out the examples, he catalogues the examples in the Old Testament. And of course, one of the most notorious was Cain. And he says in verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have gone in the way of Cain. And so Jude has set before us a history of the kingdom of God. Those who, despite coming to worship God and sacrificing to God like Cain did, their heart wasn't in it, as it were. They stayed. Many people come to church. Many people say that they're a Christian. Many people talk about Christ's forgiveness. Many people talk of these things, you see, but their heart is not in it. It's just an intellectual thing for them. And so Jude here diligently sets out this history of, of, of the kingdom of God. 
And you see, friends, as we read earlier in Genesis 4, Cain also went like Abel to worship God, to sacrifice to God, and to bring an offering unto the Lord, like Abel. He still came to the Lord to do these things. And so we begin to see really more clearly here what Jude meant by the way of Cain, by Cain's early way of life, and how it then proceeded from there. We start to see. And as we know from Genesis 4, Cain brought the, the, the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. He brought the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. Whereas Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock, of the fat thereof, unto the Lord. And so we see here two offerings presented to the Lord. Only one of those offerings God had respect to. Only one of those offerings was accepted. Abel offered God the best that he had, didn't he? He offered the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. He brought, as it were, he did not reserve or put, put one back, one, one of his flock back. He reserved the very best for God. It was in his heart. God who's loved me, who saved me. He reserved the very best, the first best one he had. He got that and he reserved it for God, to sacrifice to God, as it were. The fat thereof, it talks about the best. The fat was the most tastiest part of the, of the sheep. And he put it back, he reserved that back because he loved the Lord, as it were. He reserved the best for God. Where Cain, on the other hand, offered God to God that which was completely substandard. Substandard. He reserved the best for himself. It says that, that he brought the fruit of the ground. We're not even saying, it's not even telling us that he brought the first of the ground. He's bringing God the scraps, as it were. He's bringing God the scraps, like many people today, you see. They go to church, but then the rest of the week, they live in the world. They're complete worldlings. No love for Christ, no daily communion with the Lord, no crying out to the Lord, no dependence upon the Lord, no growing in sanctification. And you see, this was Cain, even before this happened. This was Cain's attitude, this was his life. Despite a profession of faith, despite going to worship the Lord and sacrificing to the Lord, he gave God the scraps of his life. I wonder if, if the Lord, through his word of speaking to any today, you haven't yet closed with the Lord. You're just, as it were, an outward profession. You're just giving God the scraps, as it were, of your time, of your, of your life. Abel also, by his offering, hit the best of what he had, the best sheep, of course, which pointed to the Saviour. He showed, really, that his sacrifice, that he knew much of his sin, of his wretchedness. He showed that he knew that that he was such a, a, a hell-deserving sinner that he needed another life to be sacrificed for his life. And, and hence why he gave that sheep and the best, as it were. He didn't give a sickly one or, or an injured sheep. He gave the very best of what he had. Because he knew that, that uh, his sin was that, that awful, that wretched, that he, needs, he, he needed a, a life and blood to be spilt. For that, and in, and in doing that, he showed that he was righteous, that he believed in God's atonement for sin 
through Christ. And yet we see by Cain's sacrifice that he thought very, very little of his sin, you see. He did not bring a life. He did not think of the blood which, is, which the life is in thereof. He thought very little of his condition, you see, friends. Hebrews 11.4 speaks of it, of, of it in this respect. It says, by faith, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. He was righteous. You see, his heart was devoted to the Lord. He loved the Lord, as it were. Friends, Cain, like Esau, was fully expecting God's blessing. He came, as it were, to worship the Lord, to sacrifice to the Lord, as it were. But it was not given. The blessing was not given. The respect was not given. His worship was not accepted because his heart wasn't in it. And I'm sorry to say that it's like millions and millions of professors nowadays in the, in the West. The much worldly Christianity we see which is in golf, the nominal Christianity, their heart is just not in it. I'll do as, as, as little as, as, as possible so that I can, I can be part of the church because I don't like the thought of going to hell. So I'll go to church and I'll, I'll, I'll learn this theology, but I'll, I won't leave the world's side for Christ's side. That's going too far, as it were. I won't deny myself and take up my cross. The edges on the cross are too hard, you see. They cut me. I don't want, I don't want this fanatic Christianity. And it's sad to say, friends, this, this is the state of the West today. And so we see this, friends. This is the way of Cain which Jude is referring to, which is a form of Christianity, a form of godliness, but no true love for the Lord Jesus, no true heart for the Saviour. The way of Cain proceeds, doesn't it, to be demonstrated in how Cain reacted to his offering being rejected. We start to see more clearly how he reacted when his offer, his sacrifice was rejected. Cain became jealous and angry because his type of worship was rejected because he didn't do it with his heart, as it were. Instead of inquiring to the reason why he was rejected, instead of reflecting upon his condition, if he was truly living for the Lord and worshipping the Lord, you see, you see, he could have sought the Lord. God was giving him space even at that time to repent and to seek the Lord, you see. But he didn't do it. He became angry and wrath, as it were. And we know what happened. He, he slayed his brother in cold blood, didn't he? You see, friends, in God and His mercy, even at this stage, God brought before him his sin and warned Cain of the danger of it and pointed out to Cain, even at this latter stage, there's a way of escape for you, Cain. There's a way of escape for you. The Lord said to Cain in Genesis 4, 6-7, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. That's what happened to Cain. You see, his desire. And when it talks about the desire, it talks about the heart. Where is our heart's desire? 
It's not just about knowing truths of Scripture. God is a God of truth. He requires truth in the inward parts, you see. It's living before the Lord with a clean conscience every day, repenting over sins of the heart and mind, truly loving the Lord, truly bringing, bringing God's best, the Saviour, and bringing Him and coming through Him and depending upon Him. You see, He says, if thou doest well, in other words, Cain, if you, if you were to come with me and believe in me by faith with all your heart and with all your strength, if you were to give the, the, the firstlings the strength of your life to me, I'll accept you. But you're not doing that, are you? You're still in love with this world. You're still in the world, as it were. You've got all the knowledge in the world, you see. He says that sin lies at the door. It's, you see, if you do not come to God in the way which God has instructed with everything that you've got, it's, your sin still lies at the door. And it will have the rule and the mastery over you, the dominion over you. It will dictate to you how you live your life. It's like a cruel dictator, sir. It will just dictate to you the way you live your life. But you see, if you're in Christ, you've got new desires and principles to live for you. You're not what you ought to be, but you're certainly not what you were. And you've got these new principles and desires, and you really want to love the Lord and live for Him and, and give God your best. But that wasn't true of Cain, you see. God provided a way of escape. But Cain decided not to listen to the word of God. Cain chose his course, as it were. What God had said to Cain would happen. Cain's sin would rule over him, have dominion and power over him, despite an outward profession of religion, despite, despite what he said, the sacrifices he made, his practice, you see, his practice showed that he had a secret contempt for God's ways. This is the way of Cain. And I'm afraid to say, friends, this is very telling to much of the worldly Christianity we see in the West. It's not with all hearts. This is the way of Cain. It's revealed, Jude says, Jude's not as complaint, it's not with doctrine here, well that, that's important, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. That's why he's cataloging all these, 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 these events and people in the Old Testament. Lifestyle can corrupt far quicker than doctrine can. It can take people far away. You can have good doctrine, but bad practice will always pe take people away from good doctrine. And we see this very evidently with Cain. I'm not saying that we refute good doctrine. Don't get me wrong. But bad practice, dear friends, can corrupt very, very quickly. Cain then went on, didn't he, to be governed by his feelings and his emotions and not by the word of God. And so he killed his brother in cold blood. And once more, the Lord's door of mercy and grace was open to Cain. But once again, God, still long-suffering and patient, still willing to save Cain here, Jehovah brings Cain to account. He says to Cain in Genesis 4.10, Where is Abel thy brother? You see, Cain now can be honest. He could say, I've done something terrible. I've sinned, I've killed my own brother. I'm feeling the consequences of the fall. I'm wretched. Forgive me. He could have cried out to the Lord, even at this late stage, you see. 
God's door of mercy and love is still open to him. But what does Cain say? I know not. Flatly denied his sin. Flatly denies God's sovereignty, God's omnipresence. It's unbelief, isn't it? Unbelief. He flatly denies God. He has, Cain shows a contempt for God, secret contempt. Although he worships him, he sacrifices to him. A secret contempt for God's ways, for God's sovereignty, for God's authority. This is the way of Cain. This is the inevitable outcome of those who refuse to listen to the word of God. Their hearts become hardened over time, you see. Hardened to the authority of the word. Hardened to God's messengers. Cain, friends, is a witness. Uh, He's a witness to those who continue to ignore God's word and his mercy and his love. They continue to do that. Cain was sent forth as a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, on the run from God, desperate, as it were, trying to find his security in the things of this world, a vagabond, as it, as it were, on the run from God. We're told in verse 16 of Genesis 4 that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod. He could not bear being around the Lord anymore. He could not bear being in the presence of the Lord. He went out from the, from the Lord. He distanced himself from the Lord and went into the land of Nod, as it were. Many people do that today. Even many Christians today, professing Christians, they just do not want to be found in true Bible-believing churches. They want, they want their ears to be tickled. They want a comfortable Christianity, a lukewarm Christianity, a worldly Christianity. And we see this, don't we? We see Cain's distance himself and he goes into the land of Nod. And like I mentioned earlier, Nod means to wander. It means to wander. It means unrest. You see, that was Cain. He was wandering like a sheep, as it were, from the sheepfold. He was restless, you see, friends. Cain would never become settled in his, in his heart, as it were. He was on the run from God. He was like a fugitive, always running from God, always running from his accountability to God. And the last we read of of the way of Cain is in Genesis uh, 4.17, where we're told he has a son called Enoch. Enoch. And Cain builds this great city. And And he calls the name of the city after his son, Enoch. After his son. He's, in other words, he's putting all his hopes and his security in earthly possessions. He wants his name and reputation to carry on in the things of this world. And Psalm 49, verse 11, records this grim history of the way of Cain. It says in Psalm 49, 11, Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands, and here we have it, after their own names. That's exactly what Cain was doing, you see. You see, friends, Cain, like many people today, are on the run from God. They want to distance themselves from God. They want to remove anything that reminds them of their accountability to God. 
They, they're building cities, they're building all their hopes and securities on the things of this world. And we know the description of the city. There was a rush, as it were, to build all these distractions. Now, these things in themselves are not intrinsically evil, that must be said. The music and the things that we see, we were in earlier. But you see, Cain was doing, was inventing these things, creating these things, using the, the creative abilities that God has given him. He was doing all these things to distract him, to take him away from his accountability to God. He did not want to think about his sin, his crimes, his guilt. You see, he did not want that. So he built all these things, he created all these things, and he named it after his son. He wanted him and his, and his family and his generations to come to put their hope upon earthly ideals. That's the way of Cain, as it were. And it's interesting to note, isn't it, that Abel chose the life of a shepherd, of a pilgrim life, a pastoral life, signifying in this early history that his hope was bound up in the new heavens and in the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, that, of course, that doesn't matter. You can, you can have various different careers. It's not telling, really, of your profession. But this was very significant back then. Cain, on the other hand, wanted to build a city and make a name and reputation for himself. His heart was fully intent in living on the things of this world, despite the eternity to come. And that was not true of Abel. Like Abraham, he was looking for a city where it dwelleth righteousness. That's what, that's what Abel was all about. And so you see, friends, despite an outward profession of religion, Cain's treasure was upon earth and not in heaven. This is the way of Cain. This is the way Cain's Jude is warning us against, that there will be those who come into various churches, as it were, and with their corrupt practice, not so much they can have all the great doctrine, but their life shows the complete opposite to the gospel. And they can so affect and corrupt the church of Jesus Christ from within. He, his resolve, like many, Cain's resolve, like many, was a settled possession of worldly pleasures, of worldly lusts, of worldly ideals. That took him further away from God. Just distracting. I don't want to think about God. And sadly we see the same rebellious tendency rapidly unfolding in his descendants. We see this tendency quickly unfolding in the generations that will follow. Just a few short generations later, the way of Cain appears more fully developed in the arrival of Lamech. Where we see the introduction of polygamy. Lamech takes to himself two wives, as it were. He's openly now, openly defying God, openly living in sin and lust. We see a spirit of boastful defiance here against God. Lamech sword song, as it were, a trust in his own strength, in his own abilities, a, a violent, a murderous man. All God's commandments now are being literally trashed. Boastful defiance. We see the way of Cain more fully, fully developing, as it were, in the Canaanites. Lamech's wives and daughters' names are mentioned also in Scripture, and they're very telling. Their names. Their names point to the lust of the eyes. 
and the lust of the flesh, Lamech's wives and his daughter, as it were, Ada meaning beauty and adornment, and so on. Lamech's sons pointed to the pride of life, as it were, and contrast this to Seth's son, Enos, which means frail, frail. You see, he was calling upon the Lord, but he, he saw himself as frail. I need God more than anything. I love God more than anything. He saw himself as frail. Where, where Cain, Lamech, as it were, I don't need God, this boastful defiance, you see, a, a, a love for the things of this world. This is the way of Cain, friends. 1 John 3.12 tells us that the reason why Cain killed his brother was because his works, remember that, not his doctrine, his works were evil and his brothers righteous. That's why many people, sad to say, many false professors get angry at true believers because their works are evil and true ones are righteous. And that's why True believers are often, those who are truly living for the Lord, are often complained about, murmured against, and maligned in our, in our society. Called fundamentalists, and you name it. Cain's works show that whatever outward knowledge and profession he had, as with many people today, with all the theology, he, ha- he, was, he, he, had, he, he was not accepted because his practice denied the faith. His practice denied the faith. And the really sad thing is, is those who continue in this way, the way of Cain, they go to church, they know much theology, they know the grace of God, they know uh, that the Lord Jesus can forgive all sins, they know that, that Christ's blood cleanses everyone from all their sins. They know all these blessed truths. They know that when you're in Christ and you've truly come, that you can be saved. And that for eternity, they're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. They can know all these wonderful truths of the gospel and yet seemingly they seem ignorant to the fact that God requires not only one's intellect, just a knowledge of these things, but he requires their heart and their life. It must be the case, friends. It has to be with all of your heart. A life for a life. Christ's holy, perfect life for our wretched lives. You've got to be all in. Sad to say that not, not many people want to be saved God's way. They don't want to be all in, you see. It's got to be the case. You've got to truly, with all your heart, turn and mean it from your sin and trust in Christ and know and seek Him until you genuinely, you genuinely know and you're assured that you're in Christ and that you know you're forgiven of all your sins and that you know the power of the Holy Spirit and you know of new appetites and new desires. You know that every day you want to live for the Lord because of what He's done and it moves you out of love to love Him, to serve Him. Has to be that way, else it's not true salvation. Jude, to illustrate this very point, catalogues those in the Old Testament who thought 
that they were saved, yet persisted in their sins. He speaks of the children of Israel in verse 5, how they were saved out of the land of Egypt. Yet many of them were destroyed. So they were taken through the waters of baptism. A lot of people think that because they're baptized, baptismal regeneration, that that was a picture of baptism, that that was enough to save them. People think that they, through baptism they can be saved, you see. But we know from Scripture that many of them were destroyed, weren't they, because of unbelief. Because they, not, they did not truly love the Lord. So here we see Jude cataloging all these examples of this in the Old Testament who followed suit, who went in the way of Cain. In Jude's letter he marks out three main characteristics of those professors whose example must not be followed and whose examples go on to corrupt other people as well who go on in the way of Cain. And such characteristics which he categorizes in Jude's epistle, it shows that they, they show a pattern of the following. First, it shows a pattern of rebelling against God's authority. We see this in Jude's epistle, a rebelling against God's authority. And secondly, it shows a pattern of sexual immorality. Those who, who continue to sexually, as it were, gratify themselves with the things of this world. Their heart is really with the things of this world. And thirdly, the pattern is that they reject God's messengers, as it were. They reject them. They don't listen to them. And Jude likens them in his epistle here to the very selfish, corrupt shepherds of Ezekiel's day, who said, peace, peace to the people, when there was no peace for them. He likens them to these shepherds who did not really care for their flocks because they were living worldly lives. They were corrupt. Jude likens them to clouds without rain. You see, they've got this whiteness. They've got this beauty, as it were. They look hopeful. They've got these swelling words. They look hopeful. They're on the horizon. And I come from Africa. And when you know you need some rain coming, and when you think, wow, there's some rain coming, and the cloud comes and it just passes by. And you think, oh, I need it rain. And Jude is saying, well, these people are like that. They, they, they're hopeful. You see this big white cloud, you think, wow, this, this is hopeful. Look at all the theology, look at all the thing. But when they come, there's no substance at all. There's no inner life. There's no repentance. True repentance over sins of the heart. There's no fount of living, as it were, in them. It's just a big show. It's just about them, as it were. And Jude, of course, likens them to raging waves of the sea. You see, they're never settled, as it were. They're never still and reflecting the heavens that, that declare God. They're not reflecting Christ. They're raging waves. They're stirring up the bottom of the earth, as it were. They're all stirring up trouble. They're, they're all they're all. There's always a, a, a strife or something. This is what he's liking them to, you see. But friends, what about us? It is possible. It is possible, is it not, that there may be some amongst us here that are still going in the way of Cain, that have not truly closed 
with Christ. It is very possible. I hope it's not, but it is possible, friends. Friends, if the Word of God is described in you this morning, you must not continue to run away from God as a fugitive. You must not continue to distance yourself from God. Your sin in the end will find you out. It doesn't matter what other people think of you. I plead with you, if, if, if the Word of God is describing you today, don't say, well, this is not for me. I go to church. I know the things of God. But in your heart, you have not yet closed with them. I beg you. I beg you by the mercies of God. There's still time. There's still, there's still time to be truly and soundly transformed through Christ. And to live exclusively for Him. The door of God's love and mercy is open for you today. There's still time to come in. Cain was given so many examples, so, so much time to, 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 to repent. Christ alone must be your foundation. That's what Jude ends this epistle with. A building upon Christ, the foundation. If we build our hopes and our lives upon Him, by faith and trust in Him, well, the foundation, it will be built upon a, a rock but you see, friends, despite what we may profess, if it's not built upon Christ, it will show soon, won't it? The foundation will be built upon sinking sand. It will just crumble. As we get old, as we go more along, it will just it will start fading away. Because it wasn't built upon Christ, as it were. Upon the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It's a corrupted one. The door of God's mercy is still open, friends. If you come in truth to Christ today, in truth, with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with everything that you've got, He promises, He promises that He will in no wise cast you out. You will be saved. No one ever came to Christ sincerely and sought with all their heart and like pilgrim, like pilgrim and pilgrim's progress, abandoned their hope and their desire for this world and sought the Saviour. No one ever came to Christ and went away hungry again. If you come today sincerely, dear friends, He will save you. He promises, he promises so. I hope and pray this is true with everyone gathered here today. Amen. Amen.